Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So today I'm talking to Helen Barnett. Now, how do I decide or how can I describe what Helen Barnett does? Let's just say special ops, police, that sounds fantastic. Working with the vets, doing all sorts of groovy stuff. Sounds fantastic. Can't wait to talk to her. So, hello, Helen. Hello there, Russell. How are you? I'm good. And I'm tell- I can tell by your accent, you're in the UK. I definitely am. Yes, Hi. I am. Where are you? Um, I'm in the Cotswold, which is very lovely and sunny and beautiful. Very good. And for all our American listeners, that's somewhere near Shakespeare. It is very near to Shakespeare. It is, is it? definitely... I used to have holidays when I was a kid in a place called Borton on the Water, which is the most oh. expensive place in the countryside. That must be neat, wasn't it? Yeah, with the little um, stream running through it and the, the miniature village. Yes, it yeah. doesn't have anything in it. Yeah. Who'd have thought? <laughs> We're almost neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, hi, lovely to uh, spend time with you today, Helen. I know you've got a fascinating story, so I'm really looking forward to to chatting to you about um, all that and, and the lessons you've learned and things that you've got to talk to us about. So, uh, first of all, how do you describe what it is you do? Well, um, I, I'm a retired police officer um, and I retired in 1996, which is a long time ago now. But really, my, my, sort of, my story is in two parts, really, from when I was serving in the police and the things that happened to me. But the, um, how I've come about to be where I am now was sort of a change in the last 10 months, really, Russell. Um, and it was, it's kind of um, my life went in, in a direction that I never really expected it to go. Perfect. Now, you've already got me intrigued. So tell me about the police thing, because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, so going back quite a few years now, really, a lifetime, really. Um, yeah, I joined, I joined the Met Police in 1984, and um, I passed out of Hendon, which is the police training college, um, in nine, the beginning of 1986. I passed out as top student, much to my surprise. Hey, congrats. Uh, um, yeah, and I went to, to North London, uh, sort of it was a time quite a troubled time it was um i don't know whether people will remember but it was after the tottenham riots when um pc keith blake lot had been killed 
So it was quite a, a steep learning curve from yeah. somebody from a little village in the Cotswolds, and I was I was just nineteen. So, wow. you know, yeah, real, real. Um, it was a real steep, steep learning curve. Yeah, and um, I I was just um, a, a relief officer um, doing ordinary calls, and just um, my my career was going along sort of fairly nicely. Um, I was. I'd got married and had got a young son and really sort of my the, one of the first traumas that happened to me um, happened um, and I can start talking about that if you'd like to that's kind of there was a turning point really um, in my life so it was September 2nd of September 1991 and really up until that point I was kind of felt I was very invincible really at that age you're young and um you know I was very physically fit and um it was once a summer's afternoon in September and I was driving the, the van with a colleague of mine as a passenger and we just uh, accepted um a sort of very mundane what appeared to be a very mundane ordinary call to um just a, a man in, in Wood Green High Road in the shops causing a disturbance and it was sort of a ten a penny call really yeah um, and fortunately that day we were quite quiet so four of us um, took the call accepted the call over the radio which is quite unusual um, and anyway I pulled up in the van and um, I sort of saw, saw the guy from the description he matched the description he was across the road from where I where I was so I, I jumped out of the van and my colleague, John, he went into the shop to find out what had been actually going on. So I crossed the road and um, asked uh, uh, the, the guy who, who we'd been called to, he'd got his back to me. He was about six foot six. And I, I just said to him um, something along the lines of, what have you been doing? And as the words left my my mouth, they literally were just coming out of my mouth. He swung round, and uh, bearing in mind I, I was sort of five foot ten and very physically fit and strong, I was flying backwards through the air, um, which came as a, a huge surprise. Yeah. Um, and it was before the days of body armor or battens oh, wow. or anything like that. Yeah. So we were basically um, unarmed. I mean, we. I think as women in that at that time we were given these these small truncheons that went in your handbag. Yeah. Um, my handbag was in my locker, <laughs> so you know we were we were we we were you know unarmed. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I went flying back through the air, probably about 12, 15 feet, and landed on the pavement. And it was a busy day with shoppers, you know, going about their their business and. Um, I got, it back, I got up off the floor instinctively and all this is sort of happening so quickly. Um, and I remember feeling very angry at him and uh, feeling a lot of pain in my stomach. And I'd actually been stabbed in the stomach. Oh my goodness. And he'd got the knife uh, sticking out of his fist. So he was punching with the knife blade sticking out of his fist. So again, I mean, this is happening so, so quickly. I, I I got up, was moving forwards, and I could see him attacking a, a, a colleague of mine who'd also turned up. Uh, she was being stabbed, and I just got a glimpse of him attacking her, and just 
move forward to try and stop him stabbing her and try and arrest him. And I was flying back through the air again. Wow. And uh, I landed, you know, feet backwards and um, I'd been stabbed twice more. Wow. And at that point I was completely incapacitated and um, sort of felt fear that I'd never really felt before. It was like yeah. really overwhelming sort of terror. Yeah. For your life, um, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, my, I just remember my, my white shirt just literally turning red. Right. In front of my eyes. And I just couldn't quite, I couldn't understand really what was going on. Yes. Um, so complete mayhem and chaos. And um, he'd cut a, a sort of it down, because I could probably talk about it for, for hours, really, that just one incident. He'd, he stabbed four of us 10 times. Wow. In about 90 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and ironically, he was a mental health patient um, and he'd, he'd not been taking his medication. So, um, and his two phobias were police officers Right. and women and unfortunately for him three women police officers turned up and a male police officer so it was kind of um yeah for him storm. yeah his worst case scenario yeah yeah so um we were we were all transported off to hospital and um it was quick sort of it was very high profile at the time particularly three three police, women police officers you know yes. back in 1991 it was quite unusual and um, there's a lot of media coverage and um, you know it hit the, all the newspapers and and, yeah. and television and um, yeah so so sort of in a nutshell that was that incident and really it was at a time when stress and trauma just weren't subjects that were even on the radar yes um, in fact probably stress within the police service was a real sort of taboo subject and um you know a sign of weakness really yes so I, I recovered reasonably well from my injuries and there was no, no nothing sort of majorly sort of long lasting um but obviously the, the traumatic side of it wasn't something no. that um, i considered but clearly i was traumatized well the thing is in those days the the cure was always if you've fallen off the horse you just have to get back on it again so i'm supposing that you just have to get back out on the beat and start going it again without without any sort of form of what we would call support these days yeah absolutely russell that's exactly how it was i mean i i went back to being a mum to a 10 month old toddler um uh my marriage started sort of breaking down but i didn't really understand why yeah um and um, I, 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 in the months sort of after this, I became bulimic. There's all sort of things that were going on that I didn't really understand and I didn't really connect to yes. that incident because, you know, you, you had to be sort of fairly robust and resilient character to be, be in the police. Which and why, and why would you connect it? Because we didn't know about those things in those days. It wasn't as if there wasn't willful dis neglect or anything at that stage. It was pure ignorance in a sense, wasn't it? Or lack of knowledge is about. Yeah, it. absolutely. It, yeah. It, yeah. And and there's no blame attached to, to, you know, anything about how we were treated because people did the best 
that they could you know and yes. like you said quite rightly you just literally got back on the horse and uh, that's what we did a few months uh, you know when my physical injuries yes. were, were better I, I and that's what I wanted to do as well you know but I remember sort of putting on my uniform again was really quite difficult and um, but you know, fortunately I worked with a lot of really good people and um, um, you know I went back to the scene of the incident and things like that so and and uh, you know I think I coped I think I did cope relatively relatively well considering you know what had happened yes um and just yeah my my career sort of carried on and um i so, so i'm guessing with as a police person you your the, the, the word traumas you know sort of is, is massively convoluted with context now isn't it we use trauma a lot but i guess that you're you're actually coping with a high degree of hostility aggression um conflict you know that's a regular part of your job do, do you find that you become more skilled at dealing with it do you or do you find that you would you become more skilled at coping with it or do, do you know do you know what i mean by the difference between those two things yeah i do i think i think i i became both in actual fact you know more skilled in dealing with that type of character and you know that coming across people like that and obviously the more you do the more skilled at it you get and I think I was a very I got a very sort of calm personality and I really did try to to treat everybody nicely as nicely as you could you know I really did um and it generally worked and 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 I guess you coping with it that's a really good question because I think you think you, you're coping with it because it's just your daily job and but yes. maybe the build up of these things you know in hindsight you know you just park them away somewhere but they are stored there they're not, dealt, they're, not they're not finished with are they they're sort of parked for another day yeah yeah I don't exactly. think I don't think people realize that in a way do you that you can outwardly look okay inwardly think you're okay but just not be okay at the same time and it's it's things like marriages and relationships that where it seems to fall down isn't it they, they seem to be the first indicators yeah absolutely and, and and my husband at the time he'd been in for he'd been attacked on the boardwalk of farm riots with an axe so wow. it, there was that that element that we were both yes, yes you know in thing. trouble really yeah you know so from the nature of the job yes um yeah and quite and I, I i looked physically really big and strong and and I, I almost sort of convinced myself of that as well if that makes sense russell yes. yeah well you believe yeah. you, you have to believe your own publicity in a way your own narrative otherwise you would lose the if you started overthinking what might happen to you every single day that would be a you wouldn't get out of the you, you wouldn't exactly. the station would you so exactly. what so what was the what was because there's a more significant thing coming up isn't there so what what was the what was the sort yeah. of um, the sort of um, the real thing towards the end? Yeah, well, there was a couple of two more sort of major major traumas for me. Um, so yeah, I'd gone back to work. I was studying for promotion for the science exam, and it was in um, just before Christmas in 1993, and we got a call, a coded bomb threat from the IRA that there were going to be some bombs going off again in Wood Green High Road in the shops. Yeah, wow. 
So because it was coded, it was a recognised code word, we knew bombs were going to go off. So we all literally uh, rushed down to the shopping area and started uh, evacuating the Christmas shoppers. Yeah. Um, and with no real plan, just literally going from shop to shop, just yeah, screaming so at people to get out. Yeah. There was going to be bombs that went off. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just moved it in into this sort of covered area um, evacuating the shops and one of the bombs went off in a bin just at, on the on the street and I, it just blew me off my feet wow. and uh, I remember again that that overwhelming fear of terror you know vulner, vulnerability really yeah. not knowing where where the bomber was or if there was yeah. going to be another one and just the windows blew in and it just went all really very very sort of surreal and quiet and there were I remember the pigeons and the smoke and yeah and I got back up off off my feet and ironically it was only a f sort of a few yards from where the stabbing had taken place oh really um yeah, yeah. and I, I went out onto the the street and people were running all over the place I was trying to get people to to sort of get evacuate but really not knowing in which direction to send people it was complete chaos and yeah. um i met a colleague of mine on the street and we we moved up up the street and literally just where we'd been standing another bin went up went blew up wow so we were so so incredibly lucky and yes. and they unfortunately they they were quite small bombs right so nobody was killed and I think about 10 people were hit by flying glass but and I wasn't physically injured but it was you know another yes. massive um yeah frightening experience um and uh yeah so so again we just after the incident we just um literally went home to our families and you know yeah. that that was pretty much it again as far I, as any and you hear about um the sort of black humor which exists in the emergency services don't you all all of the the blue light um fraternity don't you this this coping mechanism of joking about it don't you and and that seems so inconceivable but i suppose if you've got nothing else i mean s sort of that's all you've got to deal with because i guess you've not been trained to deal with any of that really have you I mean, whilst, I mean, we'd had the ROA a long, a long, long time. I mean, how do you train? You can't really train people to handle themselves in those situations, can you? No, you can't. You can't. You can do... Uh, and at the end of the day, um, however much training you do have, and you're right, Russell, you can't specifically train for that kind of thing. You're a human being underneath that uniform. So you've got all the, yeah. the normal... Uh, you know psychological physiological reactions that anybody would have it's just your job to yes. um sort of um you know sort of face those those feelings yes. and fears and overcome them because you've got yes. a job to do yes um but yeah it that that was um you know looking back that that was another sort of um really traumatic thing and yeah i just literally went back to being a mum studying I passed my sergeant's exam and just just sort of just went on went on and I suppose um, you know in today's terms we'll be talking about that as being resilience or grit but actually it wasn't it was 
it was the reverse of those things, wasn't it? Because it was, that carrying on wasn't really coming from a healthy place in a way, was it? You were just, were you, were you carrying on or were you just existing and sort of drifting, not drifting, but moving through life, not quite awake or alive? People often describe it like that, don't they? Yeah, that, that's a, another really good question, actually. And I think, really, yeah, really good point. I think it's, it's like, almost, I, I felt, and again, in high, this is in hindsight, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but I no. think probably a bit like being on a bit of a treadmill. Yes. That, that you just literally are on it and you can't get off. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I, I've got a job, I've got a young son. Um, you know, it was my source of income. It was, as far as I was concerned, it was my career for 30 years. So, um, and you just, that was this sort of, um, psyche of how you had to be in a way you just had to try and crack on. But as you quite rightly said, it probably wasn't in a healthy way. Yeah. But that, so you've been knifed, you've been blown up, but that wasn't the end of it, was it? No. (laughs) So the following year, um, uh, yeah, I decided that um, I'd go for the armed response vehicle unit within the firearms department, which was a really new concept and they'd never had women uh, doing it before. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I joined the, the firearms department. I laugh because it's, uh, yeah, you wonder why really now looking back at yeah. um, my track record. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so I was. No, no, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I was the first ever mother to to join um, the armed response vehicles, and I think yeah. I, I think I was the third woman um, to join. So you know, it was it was very unusual. Yeah. And uh, yes, so and I passed all the courses, passed my advanced driving course. I was driving the the armed response vehicles. Um, and it, which leads me on to sort of the final, what I'd call sort of probably the nail in the coffin really, was um, Boxing Day 1994. And we got a call from the local unarmed police to a domestic incident that had gone wrong. And the suspect he'd taken his, his, his daughter, who was a toddler, um, from the address and he'd got a gun. So we'd been called to, to back up. The, the local police to try and find him and and uh, hopefully deal with it and you know so um, nobody else came to harm so yeah we arrived in North London and uh, we a colleague and uh, uh, me and a colleague went to the address where we thought this this ch- chap was holed up with the daughter and uh, um, had a look at the address the front door and just with a view that we were all going to go back um, and hopefully get talk him out of the address peacefully and that would be the end of it so um yeah we'd been to look at the address we've gone back to our colleagues who were all forming up in a, in a side road about a quarter of a mile away from the address um and i remember standing at the back of the, the police car thinking right, i must get my body armor on we were all tired we were it was the end of the shift i just yeah. wanted to go home yeah. all these sort of mundane thoughts were going through my head and literally just exploded into this just frenzy of violence that just again happened so quickly faster than I can sort of tell you how what happened but um yeah I heard a voice a colleague shout that's him and I looked up from the back of the car and a few feet away from me I could see 
um, our suspect had walked into the sort of the entrance to the junction of the road where we'd all formed up. Yeah. And there he is with the pushchair and literally in a blink of an eye, you had to react. You know, my, my whole body was just screaming to run away. It was, you know, it was such a frightening experience. Um, but of course your training does kick in to a certain extent and you just run towards it. So yes. uh, we were moving towards him. I was pulling my, my gun from my holster. I hadn't had time to put my body armor on and I heard him, the suspect shout, yeah, it's me. And just saw a gun come come out of his coat in his hand and he put it in his mouth. Um, and this is happening so, so quickly. And as my, I'm bringing my gun up, thinking, you know, is he going to shoot him, himself? Um, the gun, his arm was outstretched and he let off a shot and I was shot. Oof. And all, all I remember hearing was uh, this bang, seeing smoke, and it was just like being hit by a truck. Yes. And there was no pain, but I just knew instantly that I'd been shot. Yeah. And it was just complete chaos. We, there was a bus stop of people behind him and my colleagues were firing at him, but there was the toddler in the pushchair that my friend, my colleague, Nick was trying to keep out of harm's way. It was just absolutely chaos, but I just completely shut down and didn't sort of hear any of these, yes. the, the other shots or anything. Um, and I, I dropped, I remember dropping down onto one knee um, and once the, the danger had subsided, which was seconds, um, and he'd been shot by my colleagues, um, I managed to sort of crawl behind one of the, one of the police cars and um, lay on the floor. And that's when the, the pain kicked in. Um, yeah, so uh, again, in a nutshell, that, that was kind of that incident. And um, I'd been shot, I was tended to by my colleagues. And um, there was a f somebody I knew from a few years back and we, he sort of looked down at me when I was on the floor and said, oh God, not you again. <laughs> we <still laughs> had this, you say about the dark black sense of humour. I yeah. sort of looked up at him and said, you know, oh God, not me again, what's going on? Um, and I was taken off to the local local hospital, and fortunately, it wasn't um, you know life threatening. I'd been shot through the knee, uh, <clears throat> and um, after sort of few weeks and months of, of treatment, I finally went to sort of the military hospital at Woolwich, and they they treated the, the gunshot wound. Um, I recovered physically fairly well, but clearly that was kind of the yes. final traumatic thing that sort of. Um, finished me off really yes so you retired so yeah I was I was very very fortunate actually to have some fantastic treatment from somebody called Professor Gordon Turnbull who was a real expert in in trauma um really lucky the following year um and um you know uh, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and Good. medically discharged in 1996 and so for people who describe anything you know a bad day at work or you know being a bit moody as trauma what is real trauma what's it really like um i suppose it's 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 very 
personal, isn't it? And it's very individual to the, to, to, to the, you know, the person. But for me, I mean, for me, they, they were sort of, um, I describe being shot as being like being hit by a bus and then kind of that all three incidents were like really like that, that just shocked me to the core. Um, you know, and I was a really strong, resilient character, but, um, I suppose sort of that feeling that, that you're going to die, um, yes. three times really uh, is pretty, um, and it was the build up of them yes. because I was, I was resilient, but it was those layers of trauma that kept building up, you know, um, yes. till, till my pint pot was overflowing. Yeah. Um, and I was just burnt out really. And I, I think I, I look back in hindsight and it, again, it, like you rightly said earlier, Russell, it was just how it was. And it, there was no, it was just how it was at the time. But I think, mm. you know, if there was more preventative things in place, I think I could probably would have fared better. Yeah. No, I think you've, you've hit on something there. I think we talk about resilience as if it's something that always happens after things go wrong. But resilient, true resilience is, you know, you build your capacity to, to weather the storm and know how to bounce back. Because if you don't know how to bounce back before you go into something, it's too late when you're already in a difficult place, isn't it? It's almost twice the work, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another really really valid point you've made and I was, I was fortunate I, ha I had some good coping mechanisms and I, I was very very lucky I had a great childhood very simple in a little village and I had I did have inbuilt sort of a core that was sort of quite quite strong and I, ha I had simple coping mechanisms you know like keeping yeah. fit and so I, I look back and I you know I, I really do thank my mum and dad for that so I think that's really saved me as well. Yes. And so now, how, how have you dealt with the trauma? Have you, uh, are you coping with the trauma? Are you doing things even to this day, which are still wired on go back to that particular time? Yeah, I, I that probably is, takes me on to how I've sort of come about to speaking to you today, really, because I, I felt I, 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 I'd had blips and, and leaving leaving the police service was very difficult. It was very isolating. There was nothing. There was no social media, no, no support network. So I think the isolation for me was very that really the loss of loss of um, and you must lose my identity. I was just going to say, people always talk about the lack of identity, that that camaraderie, that coping network mechanism that you had when you were still part of it. People underestimate that lack of identity, don't they? Yeah, they do. That was huge for me. Um, so literally, I handed in my warrant card and I was gone, and that was it. And I felt, I felt very much like um, sort of an alien amongst what I'd call yeah. normal people. People, yeah. you know, I just really did. And but um, so yeah, I, there were times in the beginning where I, you know I really struggled with it all. But um, fortunately i've had my you know my fitness has been fantastic um that, of, of coping and um then that fitness element sort of leads me on to sort of 10 months ago when i was asked to to um take part in a team deadlifting world record attempt to raise wow. money for a um, charity to support military veterans and um 
for some crazy reason I, I said yes so <laughs> ended up we did this 24-hour deadlifting world record and raised nearly five thousand pounds to support military veterans that were suffering you yes. know with their mental health and it but it made me realize I was actually I'd become quite anxious um so i um i ended up going um for some treatment with with rock to recovery the, the charity and um and then going to this um this place called the the hidden valley um bushcraft woodland warrior program and it's run by um, an ex-marine nick goldsmith who suffered very badly um, with his mental health and he bought a bit of woodland and yes. he he now takes military veterans and emergency services into his woodland for these weekends and I went I yes. plucked up the courage to go to that thinking you know oh, oh, I'm not bad enough you know all those that that self-doubt you know yeah. that um and it was just a literally life-changing weekend we we it, we did, um, you know, bushcraft skills, wood carving, made a campfire, and there were military veterans there who, although their traumas were very, very different to mine, we'd got yeah. so much in common. Yeah. And it was just a, a, such a simple concept, but so, so powerful. And it was from there that Nick said, your, your story, Helen, so, so current. And um, I think I'd lived with it so long that it had just become kind of ordinary and he he gave me this self-belief and uh, put me in touch with somebody and I, that, that's when I started I did the pod podcast um, and it's just um, evolved from there now I'm actually a patron of the Woodland Warrior program oh, wow. um, and um, I've been to the Endeavour Fund Awards with them and I'm involved with the Curtis Palmer charity for Pilgrim's Bandit that supports um, police officers who uh, who've been injured and traumatized so um, and I've started public speaking as well which I would never uh, in a million years have believed and this is all from yes. doing the deadlifting and then going on the Woodland Warrior program and get it you know it's just uh, and that's in the last sort of 10 months it's just yes. incredible so, um, and so it's been so therapeutic for me to feel like um, I think it's my final part of my healing that I, I'm helping other people now, which is yes. just an incredible feeling. Yes. So if people want to get hold of you and hear more about your speaking and such like, Helen, how would they do that? Um, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a profile on there. I'm on Instagram and under Helen Barnett. Um, and I'm on Facebook. So sort of those three things, really. And it's Barnett with one N and two T's, I'm guessing. It is, yes. Brilliant. Yes. So if you look, if you look back over um, your very eventful life, other than saying, why is it always me? Um, <laughs> what, do, what do you take out of all of this? What do you take out of all of this journey you've been on and such like, and the, and the sort of almost the re rebirth in a funny sort of way of what you come from? What yeah, from it's it funny. All? I, 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 um, it is like a rebirth it's almost somebody pointed out this to me when i was i was talking the other day that it's almost like going back to the woods was like going back to my childhood like the village that i'd come from it's like literally going full circle and that's a really good way of putting it Russell. it's like a rebirth and i've just i just genuinely 
um, I'm so thankful that you know I've been so so lucky that I came through all these things and um, you know you can cut you can get through anything um, and it's just so amazing that um, ho hopefully this will carry on um, and I you know can do a lot of good from telling my story you know to help others and and um, you know to help me as well so it's you know that that um, feeling that and it is such a current issue you know it's so there yeah. is so much more um, help out there now so much more conversation about it but I do think you know there is so much more that we can still yes. still do and I'm well, sort of, sharing my story that, yes. that will help in a small way because it's important to have role models for people who have come through it but have also had that human thing of not being able to cope with it because actually you know the point the thing I was figuring out was actually you've done this thing where you it, it, it was sort of beating you and you had to almost re-identify you had to recreate yourself I think that was where I was coming from and I think a lot of people go through that process don't they and then they come out and they nearly always say the same things I'm so lucky I'm very grateful I mean, you're saying the same words that people say it and those are the things we can learn earlier aren't they yeah absolutely because uh, it, it's just a shame it, and, and it was just yeah. how it was that it's taken so, so much of my life um to come to this point um um you know that and if i could change that for other people you know identifying that that these things if we can put them in place Yes. Um, can really genuinely help people. Brilliant. Well, it's a fascinating story, and thank you so much for sharing it with us today. It's, um, I shall make sure I don't ever stand next to you in a, in a crowded street. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, people underestimate this, this running towards danger thing. I think people, it's become a very glib phrase, hasn't it? But people don't understand that. It takes immense bravery. Um, and while it's conscious or unconscious, it doesn't really matter. It's um, it's important, and that's always part of you for the rest of your life, isn't it? It's part of who you are, and part of you know how you will be for the rest of your life. You have that thing in you. Yeah, absolutely, and it's something you sort of have to work on daily. You know, I, yeah. I daily have to do things that make you know I know that work for me. And so you're standing up addressing a ten thousand people. You'll be able to. Do, you'll be able to. Uh, sort of you know now you know sort of um, reconnect with that resilience you've always had yeah overcoming that anxiety yeah we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for spending time with us today oh thank you so much for having me on board thanks russell no problem you take care thank you hi everybody i hope you found that episode useful and interesting Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.